Hey there, welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me is my co-host and equal Disney nerd, Larry Brenner. Hey, Larry. Hello. Hi, Andy. How are you? I'm good. This is our first podcast. So I thought, you know, we both thought we'd start with a bang and dive right into the Disney canon with the greatest movie musical of all time, in my not-so-humble opinion. And it is... Mary Poppins. (laughs) Mary Poppins. Yay. So let's dive right in and uh, put the gloves on and maybe take them off. Sure. I don't know. But we are definitely going to look at this, not so much from a, oh, Dick Van Dyke's uh, uh, accent Accent. is terrible or whatever. We're really looking at this as screenwriters. So we're looking at this in terms of structure and plot and character arcs and all those things, right? Yeah, it would be crazy for us to be like, oh, Mary Poppins doesn't work. It works. So the question is, what about it works well? What choices do we understand? What choices don't we understand? Um, You know, I think we both agree this movie would never be made this way today. Absolutely. But that doesn't doesn't take away from the fact that it is fantastic. Absolutely. In every way. It's practically perfect, right? Oh, I see what you did there. So let's talk about structure. So what do you think about structure with this film? How well, do you think this film structured? So this this movie, you know, generally speaking, when we're, we're talking about plot, we're talking about exposition, inciting incident, rising action, climax, falling action, right? right. right. Uh, and and certainly and certainly this this movie uh, has a long exposition. Going, it really does. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. We see Mary Poppins up in the clouds very early, but she's just sitting, hanging out, having her tea, right? Um, And we talking to the um, talking to the uh, para umbrella, right? Right. We have easily a half hour just with the Banks family prior to Mary Poppins showing up, right? So there's this whole um, really settling into settling in with the family. Like we get to know and see the family dynamics of what's working and what's not. Um, and, and who the real problem is and, and why there's what's really happening. And there's wonderful music that are just complete earworms, right? Which we'll talk a little bit about later, but, um, in this plot, there's, you know, it's, it's really clear to me that, um, the inciting, well, what do you think the inciting incident is? I think it's, you know, Katie Nana is leaving because the kids are at the park. I think that's um, the inciting incident, but well, maybe maybe I'm wrong. I mean, technically speaking, the 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 true inciting incident of this movie is Mary Poppins comes to stay with the Banks children, right? Right. Um, that is that is going to be the that is the event we are here to see, and that is the event that is going to change the course uh, of of the family. Right, 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 right. Katie Nana is the latest in a series of nannies who has left them. She is not right. the first. So she's more expository, you think? Um, yes, no, I think she's okay. still in the exposition. She's, she, the problem that Katie Nana represents is an ongoing problem that has existed prior to this. She's just, What we're really waiting for is Mary Poppins comes in and changes things. Right. Ah, yeah, she does, doesn't she? Once Katie Nana's gone, we never mention her again. Right. She's right. out. She's out of there. She flies away with the other nannies down the street, right? Jesus. No one misses her. No one grieves her <laughs> loss. You know, they're not dealing with the absence of Katie Nana. Right, they're right, dealing right. with the 
introduction of Mary Poppins. Right, right, right. And she's so different from all the other nannies, right? That's what's so interesting about her, is that she's so different. Uh, so I have a couple of questions about the exposition. Sure. Uh, and maybe, my first maybe one would be... we can work on it together. Yeah. <laughs> the first one would be, why the choice? Because before we even get to the Banks house, we don't actually start the movie there. We start in the park with Bert mm-hmm. playing his one-man band. Right. Bert takes a look at, I presume, us through right. the fourth wall and says, oh, you're here to see the Banks children, or not the Banks children, you're here to go see the Banks family. Let me take you there. And and for me, this is this is a decision. It's a conceit we never return to later in the movie. Right. Uh, part of me wonders why we need Bert to take us to the Banks house rather than start at the Banks house? Why Why outside leading in, do you think? Well, I have a couple of thoughts based on what you said about your um, niece and nephew watching this for the first time. The first thought I have is, I wonder if what would happen if we did start at the Banks house, would it make any sense? Would we know that there's any magic coming if Bert wasn't there to sort of be magic for us? And the second idea I have is that Every Disney movie that we've watched, um, I mean, that I've watched with you and some of the academic work that we've done, it always starts with a book opening, right? Yes. And so there's somebody there. And sometimes there's an actual narrator that's telling us the exposition. But in that way, it's sort of part of what we've come to expect from a Disney film in that we're going to have a narrator who's going to set things up for us a little bit, maybe introduce us around, show us around what's happening. And then, you know, launch us into that first scene. I'm just saying, it's not that complicated. There's a house, there's a mom and a dad, <laughs> and there's two kids. And even if you haven't seen a lot of movies, like right. these concepts do not require a narrator to say, hey, have you ever heard of this? The Would only you really part... leave that beautiful part with Admiral Boom on the cutting room floor? I mean, come on. <laughs> well, we're going to come back to Admiral Boom because I think... We will. I think the entire reason we're with Bert is simply so we can pass by Admiral Boom on the way to the Banks house. Oh, maybe that's the reason. I do love... Which which leads me to my second question. Yes, yes. So, Admiral Boom. So, normally, in a story like this, the Banks family would be perfectly normal. And then the extraordinary event would bring magic into their lives. Right. right? It would be our world, and then Mary Poppins would transform it. Right. But in this movie, their world is already heightened because they live next door to Admiral Boom, (laughs) which in and of itself could be your whole movie. Right. You could do the movie of, I live next to this guy who every hour launches a cannon, And it's slowly driving me insane. (laughs) Yes, yes. So so why, Andy? That would be difficult to sell. Well, he's he's an interesting character, but I think he also provides this interesting look. He's he's there's a duality about his character. Yes. On the one hand, Admiral Boom is precise and punctual, and um, very shipshape, and according to the book, and on the other side of it. He's mad and crazy and magic. And there's something, so there's this, again, the duality I find very, very interesting. I think that happens with a couple of characters. 
um, in that, in that, but yeah, I think this is definitely, um, sets us up to know that we're about to see something that's really ship shape, but we're also about to see something that's really magical and kind of crazy as well. So it's sort of, of course, a little bit of a foreshadow. We need some comedy to, to, to hold us over right. until we get to Mary coming in. Right, right. But we know something's going to happen. So we just start with the Banks family. It's pretty dull. It's pretty dull. I mean, it's like they've got this going on. She's a suffragette. Why do I care? Yeah. No, no. Also, I- also Bert introduces us in that opening number. He enters us, introduces us to all the characters on Cherry Tree Lane. And so we get to meet Andrew and Miss Lark, and we get to meet Mrs. Corey, and we get to meet the two sisters, who we never see again. Never. Right? Um, but if you've read the books, Mrs. Lark and Andrew play a significant role. Mrs. Corey and her sisters, or her daughters, play a, a, an even more significant role. And so people who've read the books might go, oh, yeah, I know those people. I know Cherry Tree Lane. And would children in that, you know, would children, especially... Um, uh, you know, hearing now that we know that maybe Disney wrestled with P.L. Travers a little bit, I wonder if he said, oh, yeah, they'll be in there. <laughs> and here we are at the beginning, and okay, we're done with them. Let's move on. I mean, right? I mean, could very well be. You would expect all of these characters to, in some way, uh, play a role in the story. Sure. Otherwise, why are we learning about them? Right, right. So, but they're just sort of there. So we know this is kind of a weird neighborhood. It's kind of a goofy, kind of fun. It's, you know, it's it's a balanced neighborhood. The dog seems to have, you know, seems to talk and know what's going on. There's Admiral Boom, who's, you know, a little little nuts. But there's just something that's not quite right about Cherry Tree Lane. Ah, let me say that again. Something is not quite right about Cherry Tree Lane. No, for sure. For sure. So, um, yeah. All right. Or maybe so, everything's right with Cherry Tree Lane. I don't know. Maybe it's no, all right. No, no. Think. So here's my theory. I was going to say this later, but I'll okay. say it now. Okay. I think Admiral Boom has a tremendous symbolic va- value mm-hmm. for this movie. That that more than being like this wacky character, he is a metaphor. So on the surface, you look at the Banks house and you think, what a model family. Dad, mm-hmm. mom, two children. But throughout their time together on the screen, there are these big explosions happening next door that they are ignoring. And I think those big explosions that are happening outside are also big explosions happening inside the house. Ah, very interesting. That they're ignoring that they're ignoring that there are real problems that need to be addressed Mm -hmm. and are so important. It's so important to for them to keep up appearances that, yes, so, so there's an explosion every morning at 8 a.m. Let's just all move over to the china and like and like and the and the furniture and the table and the lamps and hold everything steady. They don't do anything to protect the structures on an ongoing basis. It's every right. time there's an explosion, we'll just push ourselves up against it, ignore it, and then go back as if nothing had ever gone wrong. Interesting. And I think that's really brilliant. This is a little mean, but in an ideal version of this movie for me, where we have like two more minutes, we find out Admiral Boom is moving away. Oh, that would be really interesting. How would that change their lives? That would really change things a lot. Yeah. They don't have to live under siege anymore. 
of the constant explosions. Well, and what is that siege? It's the empire, right? The British empire and the way it's set up is almost the, um, you know, with this, this is how we live. This is how we act. This is what we do. Everything's proper. Everything's this, everything's that. And even though there are these, you know, that's, that's living, the siege is living next door, but the siege is also happening inside. I really love that idea. That's really great. I I, (laughs) never occurred to me before this uh, viewing. So that's, that's (laughs) cool. That's one of the things that I love about us doing this is, you know, we've been, you and I have been sitting with Mary Poppins for a couple of weeks now and not moving on. So that's, that's, that's just special. We just get to sit with it and, and let things kind of ruminate. Which is really fun. You taught me a word this week, and okay. it wasn't supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. No, it was an no. equally good word, <laughs> uh, and well. I've been thinking about it a whole lot. And um, I want you to tell our listeners about that word because it has really sort of revolutionized my thinking when it comes to my own screenwriting. And I'm thinking, huh? I wonder where. Um, I wonder what Larry might have to say about this. So hit us with this. And I think this might be a recurring segment for us. Oh, I would so. love to. I All would right. Love so to. teach teach everyone this word. Okay. So uh, this is something that I teach in screenwriting. Um, the idea here is, so I'm Jewish. When we have Passover, uh, we have this section of Passover called the four questions. And each of the questions begins with manishtana. Uh, it's a longer phrase than that, but the first, the first few syllables are manishtana. And the question that we ask on Passover is, why is this night different from all other nights? In other words, we could celebrate Passover. We could commemorate the events of Passover any other time. Why are we talking about these events? Why are we talking about them now? And I always like to think about that in terms of writing a screenplay. Why, why does the movie choose to start here. Why are we starting here and not someplace else? Uh, So I used as an example when Andy and I were talking about this earlier this week, you know, Gilmore Girls, season one, episode one, Lorelai and Rory are lovely and have been lovely for some time. I'm sure we would enjoy seeing their years prior to episode one. But why episode one? Episode one is the day where everything changes. Lorelai needs her parents for something, and her parents are going to put her, create this deal where they have Friday night dinners together, and it's changing all of their relationships forever. In other words, the series has to start here. Right. So my question in regards to Mary Poppins and the Manishtana is, why does Mary Poppins come now? This is not the first nanny that the Banks families have lost. Right. And it may not be their last. And Mary Poppins has been sitting on that cloud waiting, but she's waiting for something to activate her. And it has to be now, not prior to Katie Nana, not post the other other nannies. Why now? Why why is this day in the lives of the Banks family the day where Mary Poppins has to show up? So and and I... I can throw that question back to you and then I'll <laughs> I'll put mine in. So I think that it is because Jane and Michael have made a cry for help. That this is the first time that the Jane and Michael have come to their father with an advertisement to say, hey, look, we're going to help you find this nanny. And, you, you know, we can't have this person. We can't have that person. This, these people are cross. They're cruel. They give us castor oil. They give us gruel. 
They, we want them to love us as a son and daughter. And what does that look like, to be loved as a son or a daughter? Because these kids don't feel that. And, and so and, they're asking, in a way, they're asking for help for a nanny, but in a way, they're looking at their parents and asking for support from their parents. And the only person that's really asking that's Mrs. Banks. But this is the first time I think the kids have said, we're, we're taking control and we need some support here. So I, so I think agree she's with answering you. the call of the children. I agree with you, Andy. Okay. Because oh, you do. <laughs> I'm, I, in part, at least. In part. Okay. I'm going to add on to it. I was going to say, Larry, we can agree about lunch. So, <laughs> so let's, figure, let's figure out where, you, where no. we disagree. No, I'm kidding. I, I'm we kidding. agreed to do this. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, we did agree to if do we, this. If, this, we agreed this about every, us. <laughs> if we agreed about everything, this would be boring to watch. This would be very to. boring. Yes. It would be very boring. Terrible. So okay. uh, the idea that, you know, it may very well be that by Mary Poppins' rules, you know, you need to be invited by the children, much like Dracula. You know, you right. need that invitation, and they've in, they've essentially prayed for her and invited her, and now she can come. But I am going to also say there's a second part of this, which is sort of almost horror movie rules, which is uh-huh. there is the transgression. And I'm going to say that Mr. Banks transgresses here. Okay. Uh, so we've had a series of nannies that Mrs. Banks has hired, uh, hoping to please him. And today is the day where Mr. Banks says, "There have been two. You you have hired so many nannies, and you've messed up each and every time. Obviously, this is one more thing. I have to take over. I will interview the nannies, and when I find the nanny, this will solve all the problems." Mm. And I'm going to posit that Mr. Banks Banks is transgressing here. Number one, he is minimizing the role of his wife even further in this household. Uh, But even putting that beyond, I believe if Mary Poppins doesn't come today, he is going to find that terrible nanny, Mm -hmm. like the worst possible nanny. It's going to be Miss Hannigan from Little Orphan Annie. I don't know. Right, right, right. Someone truly terrible who's going to destroy the spirits of these children. And Mary Poppins has to come today because tomorrow would be too late. Right. I mean, you saw the queue of those women outside the, the, the house. One of them, one of those women outside those women with going to get that job. And Mary Poppins does not even want Mr. Banks to meet that woman. Right. Right. The anti Poppins, the anti Poppins. Ah, Interesting. That's really good. Okay. I think you're right. I think they're both right. I think we're both right. <laughs> I think we're Let's both just, right. Yes. Both I and. Think, I think it's, and again, I think it's just this brilliant storytelling where you have the kids really invested in wanting Mary Poppins to come to them and he wants the best nanny. And, um, and when Mary comes, she kind of makes a, a fool of him really. But, and, but then he's like, oh, yeah, I think it's good. I think this is great. I'm fantastic. So she kind of plays into his hand a little bit, which is fine. So, yeah, she handles him in a way in which Mrs. Banks cannot. That's exactly right. Yes, because she doesn't yes him. She just she just makes him think that everything's his idea, which is a, a very interesting. We'll get into that when we talk about Mrs. Banks, I bet. Oh, God, but, we, um, we, we okay, so let's talk about protagonist. So Andy, uh, when yes. Andy was working on her extended critical essay at Spalding University, Andy uh, wrote a big paper about how in many of these Disney movies, which both she and I love, 
We do uh, love them. We love them. There are some significant problems in pinpointing not who the protagonist is supposed to be, but who the protagonist actually really is. is. That's right. And in order to do that, let's let's just take a couple of seconds to define what a good protagonist is. A good protagonist is someone through whom the audience experiences the movie. We That's see right. the events through the eyes of this character. We're following right. their perspective. And a good protagonist is also someone who grows and changes over the course of the movie. Yes, uh, yes. In a good movie, like yes. ideally, you, your your protagonist starts off as one person, but because of the events that occur in the movie, they come out the other end a changed person. Yes. And I think Andy and I will both agree here. I know we will because we cheated and talked a little <laughs> bit about this. That as much as we love Mary Poppins and we maybe are Mary supposed Poppins. to think of her as the protagonist of she this movie. She is not the protagonist of this movie. Why not, Andy? She is not because she has no arc, Larry. She has no arc. Mary Poppins is the same at the beginning of the film as she is at the end of the film. So there's no change in Mary Poppins. So somebody would say, oh, it must be the children. Because we do see we do see a lot of the film through their eyes. We really do. We spend a lot of time with them. But the children don't change either, really. I am going gonna, gonna to stick a pin in that, Andy, because okay. I agree with you that the children are not the protagonist of this movie. Uh-huh. But I think we are supposed to perceive change. But we'll come back to it. But they get what they want. The children get what they want, for sure. They get what they want. They get to be loved. Love us as a son and daughter. They get to, lo- they get to experience that. But they don't really go on a journey to find that love. I disagree. But you we're going okay, to okay. come okay. to okay. it. We'll but, come but, to it. But, All right. But no, no, no. This is good. People will like it when we disagree. <laughs> okay. We're going to fight. Um, but, but really... You know, Mary Poppins, the other thing is we're supposed to see the movie through the protagonist's eyes. Right. What's going on in Mary's Pop, Pop, Mary Poppins' mind at any given moment is a mystery to no us. no idea. We don't even really know who she is. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But she's, we don't really even, we, she's sort of this enigmatic figure. We have no idea. She comes from a cloud. She shows up when the wind changes. She does her job and she leaves, right? So she's got this, she's got this kind of system and we don't really know much about her. And so, you can't yeah. have your pro- you can't spend 30 minutes of your movie waiting for your protagonist to show up. Nope. Nope. I would I would think that Mary Poppins would be the antagonist of this movie. Very possibly. I think so because she's the one that makes things happen. And Very she's possibly. the one that other characters have to have to spend time with and get to know and she is the one she's the catalyst for change. So yeah. So who do you think the protagonist is? All right. I think it's George Banks. Okay. Who most people would say is the antagonist. Right. But, but, I but think it's I'm going gonna, gonna to be in your corner. I'm going to cheer you on on this, Andy, because I do think you're, <laughs> you've got a really strong point here. Why is George Banks the protagonist for you? Well, we don't always spend time with George Banks, but George Banks makes the most change in this film. He goes from being a stodgy... Um, really unbalanced person who demands a lot of a lot of people to being a kind, giving, um, sacrificing person uh, who, who, who loves his children enough to do things for them and spend time with them. So he goes from, he goes from, you know, uh, this really neglecting his children 
to being someone who who really wants to be an actual father. Yeah, he has the single greatest transformation of any character in this in this movie. Absolutely. But he also fills fills the other requirement, which is when there's a scene and George Banks is in it, we are watching the scene from George Banks' perspective. Right. The and points the interview of view do Mary- change. Yeah, the points of view do change in this film. That's for sure. This but is when sort he's of that there, point of view, right? Yeah. yeah when, when he's there at the beginning interviewing Mary Poppins, we're not with Mary. We're no. with him. We're doing. Right. We're conducting the interview with him. Right. Now, my answer. Look, I think your answer is the best answer. Oh, thank you for Mary. this. Um, but my answer <laughs> is going to be a, like what I think the movie was going for. As okay. opposed to what I think succeeds. Okay. And I think the movie is going for the entire family as a unit is the protagonist. Ah, very interesting. Um, but because the problem in the family is George Banks, that does end up translating to it to exactly to to your point that if George changes, the family is fixed, and if the family is fixed, their problem is resolved. I believe we're supposed to see. That Mrs. Banks, Jane, and Michael also undergo transformations throughout the film. Theirs are not as great as George's. No. But, but Mary even changes, you know, the the household staff, the the cook and the and the right. maid. Like she is, she is affecting change everywhere. She, well, she's, and she's affecting change everywhere, and George resists it. George is the only one who resists that change, which again puts him in the squarely in the protagonist camp for me. I agree. I agree. Do you want me to talk about how the other characters, I think, change, or should we hold off on that till we get to character arcs? Oh, let's talk. We can talk about character arcs in just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So Good. Let's do, let's do this. So let's, let's back up just a minute, but what is Mary Poppins? I've thought about this a lot. As you know, like, like who is she? Right. Like, what, is, what kind of entity is she? How do we categorize her? Is she, is she a one-of-a-kind is she, um, you know, really, who is she and, and what is her what is her function in the world? I would hate to think that she's one of a kind because that means we have this, un- obviously, she's unique. But I, right. I, but I mean, I would like to think that there are other nannies floating up on other clouds up there because I can't imagine of all of the families in the world that have problems that the Banks family is the family that needs her the most. I feel better about it knowing that, like, you know, Elliot from Pete's Dragon got got one assignment and Mary Poppins got another assignment. And that they're sending specific, whoever, whatever power it is, is sending specific individuals for specific problems. Mm -hmm. But, I, I, I mean, she's kind of an angel, right? Yeah. I mean, she does know all about the saints and the apostles at the cathedral and her eyes on the sparrow of the bird woman, right? Yep. So, but yet the penguins say that she's their favorite person. They've seen her before. They've seen her before. They know her. Well, and that also raises the questions about the existential existence of those penguins, whether they have, but, (laughs) but, but I don't know that we can go down that rabbit hole. Um, So, so what, what would be some other things she could be other than an angel? She could be a witch. Thought about a witch. Um, fairy know, godmother? Fairy godmother works. Um, I thought about this. She could be like a magician or a sorceress. But um, 
and talking to my kids about it, who are, my kids are in high school now, um, but they said, oh, she's a nanny. Because every kid believes a good nanny is magic. I thought that was pretty good. Oh, and so, and that's, so that's, that's so much about your kids. I know it really is so much about my kids. I love but that. Yeah. So, so yeah, if, if, and, and thinking about the times when I was a nanny, like I had kids and, and my kids were really small. I had them believing that I could blow on stoplights and make them turn green. Um, when they got up from their nap, there'd be everything set up. I'm like, I don't know who set up this tea party. It just magically happened. Right. So um, I, I think there is sort of play and fun she brings this element of fun, right? Literally from the song to this, uh, to these moments. And I think if we define her too intensely, she loses her power, right? Right. Like right. if we actually say she's an angel, she's sent by heaven down here. Right. It, it, it sort of, it, ta- it takes the, it takes the wonder out of it because now we know. And as long as she's unknowable, she could be anything. She could be anything. And yet we trust her, right? Oh, for sure. We absolutely trust her completely. We trust her to to create this magic that she embraces. And then we also trust her to have this sort of decorum about her, too, that she's not just all fun and games, right? It's not, it's, you know, well, be done, well begun is half done, right? So, like, she's got half, you know, she's, she's half and half, for sure. She's playing by her rules, but she's playing, but there are rules. Oh, yes, yes. You don't think, and, and you wouldn't go just slipshod all over her either. You, I mean, she's not somebody that you can just railroad. She's, and that's where the trust comes in because you know where the boundaries are with her, and you can trust those. So, so what's the relationship between Mary Poppins and Bert? Oh, oh man, what a can of work. We could do <laughs> an who hour is on Bert? this. I mean, if we're going to ask who's Mary Poppins. Who is Bert? Well, Bert is mortal, right? Do you he? agree with me? Because he does not have the magic in and of himself. No. He can paint the uh, he can paint the sidewalk paintings. He can want to go up the chimney as much as he can, but without Mary, he can't do it. Right, but he's also somebody who creates magic that isn't like magical, like that isn't supernatural. He creates magic by being who he is. So Bert creates magic and all, I mean, he really embodies uh, a spoonful of sugar. Well, so, so let's talk about the theories sure. on this, who Bert is. Sure. Uh, we, we do know textually, um, Mary and Bert have met prior to this movie. Yep. When we first meet Bert in the park, the tune he's playing is It's a Jolly Holiday with Mary. Absolutely. He senses the change in the wind that says that she's coming. Right. right. He, he knows she's about to be here. Uh, so you put all of those things together. Um, there, there are, I think, two dominant theories about Bert's relationship with Mary Poppins. One is that he's in love with her. Oh, that's clear. I think he is in love with her. Oh, absolutely. And I think it goes both ways. I know, I know that Canon says that's not true. But, um, <laughs> but the well, they tra- have a relationship where one they can flirt and want, somebody can get jealous and there's definitely, and there's competition that's kind of fun there with the horses and the horse race. And yeah, so. Um, but the other theory would be he is a former uh, child that she nannied who, mm. who embraced, you, you can make that sound, but people believe this. No, right? I like it. I like it. I like it. Uh, it's an idea. 
but and that he's grown up living the Poppins ideal. Maybe maybe his best potential, her best potential student, right? Like maybe. he's the one who really took everything she 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 taught to heart. He made it because he's living a life on his own terms that makes sense to him. In that and, theory, yes, he is the grandson of Mister Dawes. That's an interesting theory, which comes to what we'll talk about a little bit when we talk about some character doubling. Right, but that's yeah, coming that up. That could be that's coming up. But okay. yeah, um, but let's... I don't know. I don't know if I want Mary to have a romantic relationship with someone that she used to be the nanny of. Oh, yeah. See, that seems kind of creepy to me. It's what seems super to, creepy. What I like better is that Bert's sort of a commoner who's been watching Mary Poppins nanny all over London as he, you know, sweeps chimneys and draws chalk, and he's been seeing her for years. And so this isn't his first experience with the Banks family, or with families like the Banks, I should say. Um, does that make sense? No, it like does. He's, he's seen her worker. He's seen her worker magic before. I wonder if what we're actually seeing here is the way in which new Mary Poppins get chosen. Like he's sort of a Ooh. counselor in training, right? He's going to have throughout his life these magical moments with Mary Poppins that he's privy to because as an adult, he is that rare person who can fully embrace the magical nature of living. So and, he's an apprentice to Mary Poppins. And that he, yes, yes, he's an unpaid intern. <laughs> this is going to look, this is going to look great on his resume when it comes time for him to be called up to the big leagues. Oh, sure, sure. He's, yeah, I mean, look at the experience he's getting. Um, okay. I mean. You could even say, like, whenever he's asking her to do magic, it could be like, you know, no, no, wait, I know what happens next. This is where we do it, right? Yes, this like, is where I'm we learning do the thing. And the she's ropes. like, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Because the magic's in you, Bert, right? The magic's in the children. It's in all of you. It's oh, and, okay. We're going to stick yeah. up. We're gonna, I'm going to come back to this. Okay. This just occurred to me. <laughs> well, say it. Say it. Well, I, I mean... You know, we we when we talk about Mary Poppins sequels, this is this is not what I uh, had in mind. But would we want to see Bert's first day on the job with with the first family he's ever oh, been that's assigned brilliant. to? Brilliant! Yes, I love that. Yes, we do, and we want to see Mary coaching him throughout the. You know, going to Mary as a mentor. He's <laughs> yes. having some problems doing it because this is yes. his first time. Right. So he's like Clarence and it's a wonderful life. Like he's going to try to earn his, to get wings. his wings. Yes, his umbrella. Exactly. Yes. He's earning <laughs> his umbrella. I love it. I love it. We're geniuses. We are. <laughs> we truly are. Okay. Um, even if it's only in our own minds. Okay. So Jane and Michael, let's talk about Jane and Michael. Okay. Adorable. Adorable. Yes. So, so I know, you know, we made the argument. They're not the protagonists, although no. we could, see a movie in which they are the protagonist. They're not. Right. I, they, I mean, they make us wish that, they make viewers wish that we as children could snap our fingers and clean our rooms or ride carousel ponies to the countryside. That's what I want, right? That's, that you want to be Jane, right? When you're a little child, you want, just like you want to be Penny and the, you know, with the rescuers, you want to be Jane who gets to snap her fingers and make the, you know, the room if you're a kid, you're identifying sure. with them, for right. sure. Character arc-wise, I think we are supposed to see them change as children. 
Okay. I don't know whether we successfully see that. But I think the script intends for us to believe that these lessons that Mary Poppins is giving to them are changing them. When we first see them, Mary Poppins, you know, does the little measurements of them, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And she says Jane's problem is that uh, she's prone to giggling and lack of self-control. And doesn't put things away, right? And doesn't put things away. And Michael is extremely stubborn and suspicious. Suspicious. And so... Ideally, we should be looking at a journey where these flaws are addressed right, and then resolved. And I think it's easier for me to see that in Jane than in Michael. Uh, but I think it's there for both of them. Right. I think the whole reason that Mary takes them to see Uncle Albert mm-hmm. is Uncle Albert is someone who giggles too much and lacks self-control. Yes. Very much so, right. Life can't be all fun and games, right? And and that while Jane might want that to be the way things are all right. the time, that we see that when taken taken to the extreme that Uncle Albert takes takes things, it it it's not good for you. Right, right. I don't know that we see Jane internalize this lesson. No. But I think that's what that sequence is doing there. Well, and what's interesting is with Uncle Albert is they get to play with that idea. They get to experiment. What would it be like if you were just on the ceiling all the time and laughing constantly and everything was just whatever? Yeah. There's a rhythm to life. There's an end. We have to go home. There's an end to to this. It's fun to be at the tea party. Yeah. But the tea party has to end or otherwise. It's, Yeah. We have to have some rhythm to life, right? There's this, there's a cycle of that. And I think with Michael, um, I think the thing is Michael doesn't trust his father. Michael's right so, not to trust his father. No, no, he's absolutely right not to do it. And so he doesn't give his father his tuppence, right? He doesn't do that. And so I, he's suspicious in that way. He's stubborn and he won't give the tuppence back and he won't do this. And he wants to give the tuppence to the bird woman. And, and Michael and, and, you know, Mr. Banks square off and there's this awfulness about it. But then when the kite is mended, the relationship is mended. I agree with you. So, so but the problem that I have, and this is mm-hmm. the problem I have with Michael, not the problem with what you're saying, sure. is that I agree that Michael should be suspicious and not fully trust his father and should. Yes. I, be, I agree that Michael shouldn't give his tuppence over to Mr. Dawes. Absolutely. So is his stubbornness and suspicion actually a character flaw or is michael uh i i almost want you know what as i'm saying this i know what the answer is is that <laughs> michael is these things and circumstances uh-huh. force him to be these things uh-huh. but he should not have to be these things right i mean i think the stubbornness that comes from michael can be seen i think when we see it with the tape measure is a character flaw i think when we see it at the bank it's a um it's an asset right I think when I, and you know, having raised kids with um, a stubbornness streak, I can tell you that they don't suffer injustice very well. Right. And so Michael doesn't either. He wants to feed birds that don't have anything, right? Because this is how birds get fed. And he wants to see past the end of his nose because there she is, right? And he's not worshiping Mr. Dawes the way his father is, right? So there's this... Um, yeah, I think as a character, he's really, he's an interesting character. But I think um, 
Yeah. The, the danger from Michael, the danger yeah. from Michael is that he grows up to become George. Yeah. That the and joy gets drained out of his childhood. Right. And he be, we hear that the banks have been working for, for this bank company for generations. I right. mean, they're, even their last name is Banks, right? Like, right. That's, not a, that's not a coincidence. <laughs> so he is being no. groomed to be the next generation of Banks who works at the bank. And, and you know, if he can't trust and if he can't wonder, then that's what he's going to be. Or find balance, right? He's got to find it because none of those people, none of the men in his life, well, the men in his life don't have balance. They have the only man in his life that's any fun is Bert. Right. 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 No, I'm with so you. That's interesting. And okay. and Bert is hardly, you know, I like Bert, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't want my kids to be Bert. Right. <laughs> right, right. And I, yes. I, I don't Bert is living his truth. I just, right. you know, he's he's living his best life. I don't I don't mean any insult to him. Yeah. Well, let's dig into Bert a little bit. Sure. I, um, you know, he he is that clever peasant. He is that commoner, like citizen and uh, Julius Caesar or or Nick Bottom in A Midsummer Night's Dream. But he's also this Obi Wan, right? Who helps Banks see that he needs to spend more time with his children before they grow up. Um, he, you know, and the noblesse oblige Banks really gets out of this classism. Uh, that he's been has sort of been foisted onto him. I mean, he's sort of a Stepford wife in that he's following the empire. He's doing exactly yes. what the empire's raised him to do, and he listens to Bert's wisdom, which is really kind of a shocking. I think that is the shocking moment in this movie, where where you know all hope is lost, and then Bert comes in and says, "Oh yeah, let me yeah, you got to grind at the grindstone. You got to do all these things," and Banks is sitting back, going, "Whoa, that my life is." Really not what I thought it was. So Bert, rather than like argue with Mr. Banks, argues on behalf of Mr. Banks, which Absolutely. forces Mr. Banks to be like, is that what I sound like? Right. Which is exactly what Mary Poppins does to him, too. Which but he lends, can hear it from Bert, but he can't hear it from Mary which Poppins. Which lends credence to this theory that Bert is <laughs> a Poppins in it. training. Mm, right? He's like, yep. she she trusts that he'll be able to handle this conversation. No, Bert, you can do this one. <laughs> yeah, because she doesn't show up, right? She shows she Bert's out there to meet the yeah meet the day. Interesting, I love it. I do. I I do absolutely love Bert. I love everything. Of course, I love Dick Van Dyke anyway. But I absolutely love the dancing sequences. I think he's brilliant. Um, oh, he's so charming. I, I, he's everything, and and of course, you know, he's with the penguins. I mean, that scene with the penguins is so iconic Disney for me. When I think Disney film, that's the scene I go to. Oh, it's Every delightful. Time is Burton it's, the Penguins. Absolutely. It's fantastic. He's great. He's, he's wonderful. And and you know, this may be biased. There's just this innate goodness in him yeah. that just shines shines through. It's something you can't fake, I right. think. Right. I, and and I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just this. And again, I go back to Mary Poppins is supernaturally magic. Bert is magic as a human being. Oh yeah. He's a magical, beautiful human being. And I think that for him in the movie that, 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 that Banks would listen to his wisdom and that he would lovingly 
talk to banks, even in that. Lo- I mean, he he lovingly looks at banks and has looked at this whole situation and gives it to him straight. Yeah, I and agree. It's, it, as man to man, it's really really great. So, should we move on to Mrs. Banks? I do want to move on to Mrs. Banks. You um, love Mrs. Banks. I do love Mrs. Banks, <laughs> but but the thing that struck me in this particular movie. Uh-huh. More more than and not in this movie, but in this viewing of the movie, I should say, is how profoundly unhappy she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know that I had ever gotten that before because she sings and she smiles while she sings and she sings joyfully. But how miserable it must be to be married to George. And I want to, point, to be unseen. Yes. To be just she's just unseen. right? Unheard. Oh, yeah. You know, invisible in her own house. And I think that's why she's a suffragette. And, you know, when I said earlier that I think that the family is going to be ruined if George picks the nanny, I think, and and this might be me, I mean, this is me really reading into it from a modern Mm -hmm. perspective. Sure. I think she's getting ready to leave him. I think. No, I do. I do because, because... she needs to be emancipated. Mm-hmm. She's feeling very strong. The, the, the obvious question would be, why do they need a nanny at all if right. Mrs. Banks is at home? Right. And the answer is very clear to me that if Mrs. Banks was doing the job, she would be getting all of the criticism for George from George. Right. So right. that by having a nanny, she she forces his criticism to another stream. She's a buffer. Yeah. And yeah. she 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 is she is avoiding that negative attention by putting it onto somebody else. She doesn't want to stay home with Jane and Michael. She doesn't want to be responsible for them because then she's to blame. The second right. George leaves the house, she's all ready to go march and sing with her sisters, but when he's in the house, she becomes timid and quiet and anything else you say, dear. And if she was my friend, mm-hmm. I would be making arrangements for her. <laughs> like I'd be like, I'd be like, let's let's, you know, look into some places uh, that you could kite, Mrs. Banks. <laughs> you could stay. I would probably yeah. argue she should take the children with her, but but mm-hmm. that that's not her truth. That's not her truth. Right. But but I'm I don't know that I ever got how unhappy she must be right. until this viewing. Well, and how empowered she is with the women and this and, and how the meetings are glorious. And you can see her you can see how excited she is. And then when George enters, she completely deflates. He, he's yes, ruining her. And, uh, he he's, absolutely he's is. He's doing yeah. damage to his children, but he's absolutely. also doing damage to his wife. Right. And and forget about saving Mr. Banks. Let's save Mrs. Banks. I love right? it. I uh, love it. Fortunately, we know that that she is going to be to be saved. Uh, that that Mary Poppins is, I think, there for her just as much as she is for everybody else. The Mary right. Poppins comes in and shows a model of how to assert yourself. And maybe this is not a perfectly um, that's interesting because, yeah, I love that because here's Mary Poppins and the first time we see them at the table and she says, you know, you got off on the wrong side of the bed this morning or you're cross or whatever. And it's not yes, dear anymore. 
now that Mary Poppins is here. She's actually shifting. That's a really, that's really good, Larry. She's really shifting into being able to tell him what's what. And so their, their relationship shifting. That being said, that being said, Mrs. Banks is also part of Jane and Michael's problem. Oh, because, no because she, she has in this process of, of giving the nannies, she is, she is not as strong an advocate for them mm-hmm. as she could be. She picked Katie Nana. She picked Katie Nana not because she thought Katie Nana would be good for the children, because she thought George would approve of Katie Nana, right? Right. So she's enabling, she's trying to please George and not really thinking about the needs of her children. Even when, even when she finds out that her children are missing, she worries, mm-hmm. like, am I going to be late to my meeting? I'm right. going to give you, I'm going to give you over to this chimney sweep to watch <laughs> so I can make my meetings. So she's got some growing to do also. She does. I forgive her more than I forgive George. <laughs> She's got to get out of that house. She's just. <laughs> There's going to be an explosion in 15 minutes. Right? I got to get out of here. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. Yes. Yes. Again, absolutely. that's the other thing. Imagine, imagine being stuck at that house oh when there God. are explosions every hour. Oh, my God. Just lose your mind. I mean, it's bad enough. We live here in Florida and, you know, we live pretty near, eh, relatively near an Air Force base. And like the planes go overhead and you know when they're coming and you're like, oh, here it comes. Okay. Okay. I I am telling you, Admiral (laughs) Boom in and of himself is enough to make a movie about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of people that are enough to make a movie about, I am super curious and have been since I was a child about the bird woman. Okay. Where does the bird woman come from? And and I kept thinking about the function she serves in this, I mean, in the script. And of course, she is the song, right? She is the song that even Walt Disney said was, it was it. It was the reason. Feed the birds, tuppence a bag is the reason. For living, it's everything, right? Right. And so early, each, we know about her only really from the song. We only, and, and we see her, but we see, you know, she's not uptight. She lets birds walk all over her, but she also provides this contrast to the run on the bank over tuppence. She is literally letting birds walk on her. She feeds them. She encourages other people to be a giving person. And then at night she goes home. And so even the bird woman has a sense of balance and rhythm about her work, right? She yeah. has this sense of that. And so... I keep thinking about her and like, why this character? You know, why is this so important? And why does Mary bring out the bird woman to be the one that she wants Jane and Michael to fixate on? So I I guess, I guess, you know, you could contrast the song that the bird woman sings with the song that takes place in the bank, Mm -hmm. where they're talking about how that tuppence could be like sailing ships to Africa, could be, could be, you know, building up fields of ripening tea, right? (laughs) Right. Like, like, like you could really, you could really throw this tuppence into a vast ocean to feel like you're a part of something bigger Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. without actually really making a significant difference there. Right. Or you could take that tuppence and, and while it may not profit you, financially to do so right you can immediately see a benefit by giving the tuppence to the bird woman and then again immediately see a benefit in giving and feeding the birds 
Right. I I don't, you know, I, I don't know that the Bird Woman is supernatural in the way that Uncle Albert and, and Mary Poppins are. Right. But, and and honestly, you know, I I see her and I am sure there is tragedy in her life. Mm-hmm. Like that this was not like when she was a little girl, I want to grow up and be the Bird Woman. Right. But I, but I think she exists in this way of like, I'm immediately doing the good that I can do. Right. Right. I'm very present in this moment and in this goodness and in this charity that I can do. Well, and that may be the first time Michael has ever seen that. Oh, for sure. That he's ever seen somebody do something just out of love. There's just this pure love that she has for the, and so Michael is drawn to that. I think it's a really beautiful, um, I think it's a really beautiful part of this movie. And I think it, I don't know. It just and we never get to see ele- him. We never get to see him feed the birds. Never. He gets to fly and so, a kite. And so who does feed the birds in this movie? Hmm. See, Mr. Banks is the one that's really supposed to feed the birds, and the birds are his children. That's my feeling on this. Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, even at the oh, you know what that parallels for me? It What's that? Constable Jones. Constable yes. Jones brings the children back to the house yes. and says, Pay attention to your children, play with mm-hmm. them, go fly a kite. He knows. Please yes. feed the he's saying, please feed the birds. Right. It's not going to cost you that much. It's tuppence a bag. And look right. at all the good you can do for your children if you just feed them. Right. Oh, right. oh. I just, that, that's that, so like, good. That's like, that just hit me. I love it. That is perfect, actually. I love that. Oh, they're the birds. They're the birds. Yeah. And, and Mary's the bird woman begging them, begging mm-hmm. him to feed Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. It is good stuff. I mean, it's like, because she seems like this extraneous character, but you're really drawn to her. At least I was as a child. I was as drawn to her as Michael is. And it's like, but what Michael didn't feed the birds. Oh, it's because somebody else is supposed to feed the birds and Michael's a bird. So when I'm a kid, I don't really see that. As a grown person, I'm like, oh, I know who this is. This makes sense to me. Well, and in that sense, then maybe the bird woman is magical. Maybe she's the Mary Poppins for birds. Maybe so. Right? And know. it all works together. I don't in know. Great synergistic way. I just I don't love know. It. So um, we've talked a little bit about, let's see, who else is left? Oh, we haven't talked about Cook and Ellen, who I think are just really adorable in this piece. And they go from squabbling to joy. Yeah. And also Mrs. Banks is teaching them to be suffragettes, which is kind of interesting. And again, a breakdown of that classism because um, every Mrs. Banks is kind of breaking that down from the get go. I don't think she's married to this classism at all. They also, they also make it very clear from the beginning of the movie that Cook and Ellen do not have the time to feed the birds, to to, to pay attention to the children. Right. Right. Like Mrs. Banks is like, well, couldn't you do it, Ellen, dear? And Ellen's like, I got dusting to do. Right. Right. You know, but by the end, maybe, you know, maybe we see them as incorporated. This was a job for them. But maybe now at the end of the movie, they're family, too. Right. It becomes more that way. We hear that they were fighting a lot in the downstairs. 
and that now Mary Poppins has come, and the two of them are singing. She's their hook is holding open the door for Ellen, and right. their and their relationship is mending because Mary Poppins is healing every single part of this family, right? Just by her mere presence. Right? Oh, I like that. That's good. Okay, and then Uncle Albert. We've talked about him a couple of times, but again, the life can't be all fun and games. But I think also Uncle Albert sets up this joke for the payoff at the bank. Because if we don't yes. get the joke, then we don't get the payoff later. I I agree. Uh, in fact, it would make no sense whatsoever. No. Um, you know, that, no, I, I, I mean, I it's, agree. it's an elaborate setup to be sure. <laughs> it is a long way to go. It's a long way to go. <laughs> and we have to hear this joke travel from... From Albert to Michael to George to Mr. Dawes. Dawes, right, exactly. What's the name of his other leg, right? You know, right, right, right. Um, right. So, so it Which is. Isn't a very good joke? I mean, it's not even that like hysterically funny. No. But these people are so uptight that they never hear anything. And so I worked, this is completely anecdotal, but I'm gonna say it anyway. I used to be a temp years ago and um, I worked at Boeing. Um, and there were these engineers who were the most, how do I want to say this? They had like zero senses of humor, like none. And so the littlest thing would be the most uproarious thing. And they would just laugh and laugh and laugh like it was the funniest thing they'd ever heard in their lives. And I'm like, it's really not that funny, but okay. I mean, like Laffy Taffy jokes would just set them off and they'd like laugh for 45 minutes and keep bringing it up the rest of the day. And I always thought about them, <laughs> those engineers, like in this moment, because I'm like, Woodleg named Smith isn't that funny. So, yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think this is probably where we should talk about the character doubling here, that, yes. that Dick Van Dyke is also playing Mr. Dawes. And we should talk about Mr. Dawes, who... While I, I agree is not necessarily the main antagonist uh-huh. of this movie, he's probably the closest we have to a villain, even yes. if he's not the antagonist. I mean, he's willing to steal a, a little boy's pennies, right? That's a, ter- what a terrible uh, human being. <laughs> uh, when he's wealthy, up. when he's super rich, when he lock him up, right? When he is super rich, and here he is. So, you know, I and again, you asked the question about character doubling. So meaning that, and what character doubling is, is that when one character is cast as two different people. And so why the double cast, right? Usually so, that's because yeah. we're invited to see a relationship between these two characters. But not in this case. I mean, it's it's hard to find here. Um, but, but that, I mean, in this case, it's probably we just love Dick Van Dyke and we just want more Dick Van Dyke. Well, I have an idea about that that maybe maybe not. Is it pure entertainment? That's a possibility. But my thought and big thought here is we have two characters. One's extremely rich and unhappy with his milk toast, right? And the other is extremely poor and very happy. And so one is hate and stingy and one is love and generosity. And so thinking about that, we're all sort of two sides of that same coin. And I might be reading too much into this, but I think there's a duality of humanity that's sort of explored in that casting decision. I, I don't think you're reading too much into it. You don't think I'm reading uh, too much into no, it? No, no, no. Okay. I mean, if you want okay. to say that one is the yang to the other's yin. Yes, I, mean, I think I, so. I hear that. One is, I mean, let, let's be let's be honest. Um, this is Scrooge from A Christmas Carol. Mr. Dawes is Scrooge, right? This joyless person who has lost sight of what money is for and accumulates money just for the purpose in and of itself. He's a hoarder, right? Well, Bert begs for money and entertains for it. Dawes steals it. Well, and I don't even know that Bert (laughs) really 
begs for it. Because what's interesting in that opening scene with Bert is some people give him a coin and he thanks them and other people don't. And it is what it is. And, and, but see, I at first thought no one was going to give him a coin, but some people do. And some people don't. And I think Bert just has come to the conclusion that life is like that. When it comes to you, it comes to you. Uh, He's doing his song for Mm -hmm. him. And if money comes to him while he's pursuing his joy, Mm -hmm. so be it. Interesting. So we have, um, we have character arcs with some of these. We've talked about that a little bit. I personally think the only person with a defined character arc in this film is George Banks. And that's why I elect him protagonist because he lives this life of shoulds and oughts and then goes to a place where he is really becoming just embodying love and take and feeding the birds. Right. Um, Cook and Ellen shift a little bit. Uncle Albert goes from laughing to crying, but But he'll be laughing again. He'll be laughing again. And at the end of the day, the children, I, I, I like your theory about the family being the protagonist. Um, it's just, it's just hard because we don't follow them the whole time. We don't follow any of these characters the whole time, but in terms of arcs, I think George is probably the, the, the one who changes. He has the clearest, the clearest, strongest arc of any of them. And I don't changes nothing. She does not change at all. No, no. And I wish she would. Yeah. Right. This this feels very much to me like um, Mary Poppins running through life at, at uh, on easy level. This is not a particular. I don't get the sense. It's not that a this, challenge for her, right? I get the sense that this is just what she does. That this one, this particular house, is no more challenging than the houses she's been to before, or the houses she's come to at the end. Yes. She loves these children now, and she will mm-hmm. miss them. But it isn't going to impact her in the sense that it will change her approach to the next house, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's uh, good. It's yeah. If, if I could just get that, they give us. What would the you change bit. about her? What would you change? Like, if you could change her, what would you do? Would you honestly? I mean, the answer mm-hmm. to this is is that Mary Poppins needs to want something for herself and think right. that because she lives this life in selfless service to children, that means she's giving up her own pursuit of something. It doesn't have to be something big, yeah. but, but, but that if in some way the children nurture her, I mean, cause you're, you and I both know, we both have children. Right. There are parts of ourselves that have become nurtured through the art of parenting. Oh, no question. No we question. have become better people because we've done it. Yes. And, yes. And if in some way, like if Jane or Michael showed an interest in like, you know, Mary, you know, you know, what, what do you want to do today? And maybe if Mary's never been asked that question. There's a moment though, there's a little bitty moment when they leave, there's a little fade out and they're leaving and she's pushing in. They're all, they're going to the, to the store or something before they meet Andrew to talk to, uh, go see uncle Albert in his peril um, she says, oh, we need to stop at the fishmongers and then we need to get to Mrs. Corey's for gingerbread. And she goes, mm, gingerbread, right? Or that one moment where she goes, oh, rum punch. Love it. I want- Like, you know, like there's this, we do know a couple of things about her, things that she likes, right? She, 
she has to have, there are certain creature comforts that Mary Poppins has to have that she carries around with her in that carpet bag, right? I know what I want for her. I know what, what I do you want, want for her? her to want. What do you want? Okay. I want for her to believe that a relationship between her and Bert is impossible. Uh-huh. And that for Jane and Michael to in some way awaken in her that that she has the right to be happy herself. And uh-huh. all I need from her nice. yeah. is for her to give plant one on Bert. Doesn't yes. have to be long. It doesn't, it does it, but but in some way to demonstrate the affection that she feels for him romantically, even though she's gonna have to go, and for him to know that their relationship has progressed even this little bit, that he is, that she's letting him know, you are special to me, Bert. You're going to make me cry, Larry. Am I? <laughs> I'm making Maybe? myself cry. I'm a softie. <laughs> I love it. Well, let's talk about themes a little bit now that we're crying. Okay. Oh my gosh, that's big. All right. Okay. So, uh, I think the themes, there are a couple of them. I think there are themes about balance. I think there are themes about feminism. I think there are themes about work and classism. And I can unpack those if you want. I no, I I think you're right. I think all of those I think all of those things are there. Would you add a few? Um, let's see. Uh from I mean, this is for me. This is my answer for almost every movie. It's a movie about learning to love unselfishly. Ah, yes. And, Selfless love. Um, and I think Mary Mary models this. Mm-hmm. She she loves unselfishly the children. She she even I think loves George. Oh, absolutely. I, no, not a question. She wants what's best for all of them, and of course, because love is sacrifice. Although right. Mary wants to stay with the Banks children, she knows mm. that they don't need her and that her being there will make the children go to her instead of go to their parents. And because right. her love is that unselfish, she goes. She's like a foster mom. She's like a really good foster mom She's that's helping amazing, the family reunify. an amazing foster mom. She's great. She's great. So songs and the purposes they serve. These songs are constant earworms for you. Are they some they are of them, for me? Some of them. Uh, some of them. I remember. I like if you don't know Supercalifragilistic, Expialidocious. I don't. I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> Step in time sticks in oh, my head. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, others of the songs are rediscoveries for me. Yeah, it's a jolly holiday. Sticks in my head. Yes. And. Um, Chim Chim Cherie doesn't stick in my head the way um, Step in Time and Spoonful of Sugar Spoonful do. Spoonful of Sugar does. Uh, um, you know, obviously Feed the Birds resonates with oh. us, but I don't know that I ever walk around singing Feed the Birds. Like the sentiment behind it more than the song. The emotional, like me singing it is not the same as the emotion that the movie. Oh, so much. With so the big. visual sequence. Yeah. So good. Um, and of course, the Stay Awake song was one that I used to sing to my kids. And literally, that it really does have this enchanting quality to it. Um, it really does make kids go to sleep before the second verse. It's pretty great. Yeah. No, I agree. It really works. <laughs> so how would we... Okay, so let's say that Disney tasked us, Which, you and me, Larry, to write a sequel. 
And this is going to be an ongoing segment, This is going to be an ongoing segment, yes. What questions do need to be explored? And I know, of course, there's there was Mary Poppins Returns, but we're going to act like Mary Poppins Returns doesn't exist at all. Right. Because we're only dealing with 20th century, we're only de- dealing with uh, 20th century Disney movies. Right. But question, um, how would you do the sequel and what questions need to be explored? So the answer that I came up with in the podcast just now mm-hmm. is better than the answer I had prepared. So the, the, the okay. I want to see Bert's first day as a Poppins. I love it. But uh, but I've already talked about that one. So let me give, give the one I have prepared, which okay. is I want to see Mary Poppins challenged further than she mm. is challenged in this movie. And I, I really racked my brains on this a little bit. And I decided that if I was going to send Mary Poppins to someone, I would send her to Nani and Lilo from Lilo and Stitch. Oh, that's so brilliant because they really need her. They, because Cobra, Cobra Bubbles is not doing the job. No, no. Although, <laughs> no. if you told me Cobra Bubbles knows Mary Poppins, I would believe you it. You would believe it. But that's Absolutely. a separate issue. But, but I, I like Nani has this moment where she looks up at the sky and she wishes for help. She mm-hmm. She's doing, unlike the Bankses. I have such a deep and abiding love for Nani. Nani is a Disney mm-hmm. princess, whether she's labeled such a or yes. or no. Agree. But she is doing the to the best of her ability, everything mm-hmm. she can do for Lilo, and it simply isn't enough. Enough. And of course, we get Stitch, and Stitch, I guess, is the Mary Poppins of that movie. Yeah, but yeah, which is kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird Mary Poppins, but it does kind of work, doesn't but, it? But Mary Poppins should be helping the nannies of the world. Absolutely. Because Nani is willing to do the work. But Lilo is challenging. And they are both dealing with unresolved trauma. Mm-hmm. And I would like Mary Pops to go there. And Lilo will give Mary a run for her money. Yeah, absolutely. That's how really about good. How about you, Andy? What are, what are I... Well, I keep I keep thinking of that suffragette song, which is another one that sticks in my head a lot. Um, I don't know if that what that says about me, but um, we know that Mrs. Pankhurst has been clasped in irons again, right? And so, what if Mary Poppins goes to Mr. Pankhurst and their children encourage him to join the suffragette movement, nice, and not to think of his wife as a criminal? Yeah, for for a movie where everything where everything uh, is wrapped up neatly. It would, it would, we, as far as we know, Mrs. Pankhurst is still in jail. It's still in irons, right. <laughs> and then I also thought about an animated series. So what if Mary Poppins goes to lots of children and helps them with their troubles and helps them see the joy and the struggle and maybe she helps their, really helps their parents, but she's helping the kids. And so I thought that would be kind of a, maybe as a nod to my Mrs. Piggle Wiggle idea, but because that's kind of what Mrs. Piggle Wiggle does. But I thought that could be an interesting kind of a fun animated series, kind of a really even Disney Junior kind of kind of set. Oh, for sure. Kind of I could see that. Yeah. Absolutely. Larry, this has been so much fun. This has I'm been really... so much fun. I am so looking forward to doing this again. What's our next Disney movie going to be? So our next movie is going to be Sleeping Beauty. Oh. Which I may I watch think... two seconds after we we get done. Because <laughs> you can put this to bed. I am just so curious. I have not seen Sleeping Beauty since, um, gosh, probably since I wrote my ECE for Spalding, the extended critical essay for Spalding. And that's the last time um, I saw it also. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Okay. Well, I'm really looking forward to this and we'll 
do this again and uh twitter um, handles you want to oh yeah 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 if people want to get in touch with us i think twitter would be the best way to do that we're at andy redwine and i'm at larry brenner six larry brenner six because there are five other larry brenners who might also be me (laughs) and i forgot the password for the previous twitter handles but so do not but larry brenner six i i have my password so six is a good good number yes larry This has been brilliant. Thank you for talking about my favorite musical with me. And thank you all so much for sticking with us at Once Upon a Disney. We'll see you again real soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.